So we're looking today at God's story, people called. So to catch you up where we are in the story so far, we are looking at this thing, God's story, going from Genesis through to the New Testament because we're coming up to Easter. We thought, let's have a look at the story in which God has made, the story which our setting is occurring. So when we get to Jesus... It's all good and well to go, okay, Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, but what did he die for? Why did he need to live? And so this series has just been going back to the beginning to try and get a bit more of, con- a, bit more of a context for why do we need Jesus in the first place. And what we discovered on the journey so far, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, this uh, idea that God created everything, that he brought order from disorder, and that he just made this beautiful world for him and humanity to dwell in together forever and to just have this prosperous relationship. But then we learnt in Genesis 2 to 3 that unfortunately, uh, or Genesis 3, sorry, unfortunately that world which was created, that good order that had been set forth, it got disrupted. When Adam and Eve decided to eat the fruit and decided to not take responsibility, uh, the world which God had created, which had this beautiful vision of, of humanity and God dwelling together, became distorted. And things still functioned, but now they functioned differently. Humanity took on a different vision for how they wanted the world to be, and it didn't line up with how God wanted the world to be. And because of that, humanity and God have had differing opinions about how we should operate. So God, um, just to catch up with where we are in Genesis 12, after um, Adam and Eve and they're kicked out, there's a couple of stories that happen. Uh, the first one that happens is Cain and Abel, where a man kills his own brother because um, he was jealous, and uh, God punishes him for that. Then after that story, we've got the Noah story, which I think we're all familiar with. Even if you haven't grown up in church, a dude put a bunch of animals on a boat. That's newsworthy. Um, so that happened. And it's almost like in the Noah story, God had one, he tried to like reset humanity and said, all right, then uh, if you guys are going to live this way, I'm going to start again with a family that are going to represent the best of humanity. And then even in that scenario, it still showed that humanity was still wasn't able to live in coexistence with God in the way that God had intended. There was still something that was broken or twisted or something that wasn't quite right with the human experience. And then after that, we have the Tower of Babel. Now, it's just interesting to note, we don't have time to go into the Tower of Babel. It's interesting to note there's a little thing that happens here that sets us up for Genesis 12. So the Tower of Babel, if you're unfamiliar, um, humanity are able to speak one language, so we're able to get things done. And humanity goes, let's build a really, really big tower because we're pretty awesome. I've got hands, I can build things. Let's unite, let's put our resources together and let's build this big monument to how great we are. And God said, no, 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 no. And then he made them speak different languages, which of course made construction very difficult because they're all yelling at each other trying to figure out what's happening. And then the people were displaced all over the world. Now what's interesting in that story is that up until now, the stories have had three phases to them. The stories have had sin, judgment, and then grace. So Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, there's these three elements. There's sin, someone did something wrong. There's judgment, God judges, but then there's grace. There's almost like God is saying, but there is a way back. And then we come to the Tower of Babel, and it is just sin and judgment, and then there's no grace. 
And that happens in Genesis 11. And then we come to Genesis 12. And it's almost like Genesis 12 is now the grace part to that first element. Because God had confused the people's language. He'd sent them out all over the earth. And then he goes to a man named Abram. And it's like he's going, I'm now going to, through you, gather those that have been scattered. Through you, Abram, I'm now going to gather the world so that we can live together once again. And it's almost like this is the grace element of that. So we're going to have a look at Genesis 12, 1 to 9. Now we're going to be looking at this thing called a covenant. And I cannot do justice to the topic of covenant and kingdom and how that all works together. So I just want to highlight something quickly. I've been talking with Derek Wilson about potentially uh, having Derek run us through some covenant stuff. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to do that later on in the year. Um, So I'm just going to touch on this very briefly. If you want to know more about covenant and that, um, we'll keep you informed. But that'll be the place where we get a bit more into it. Because... In essence, the covenants sort of give the, the storyline to the Bible. When you read through the scriptures, it's like story after story after story after story. And, 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 but what connects them are these agreements that God makes with himself and humanity. And they sort of act as the things that create the tension. There's a, there's a covenant he makes with creation, with Noah, with Abraham, with David. And there's the new covenant as well. And, and these all act as almost, um, they're the big plot points that happen that, that spur on the action into the next sequence and next phase. So we're going to look at that another time with Derek. But for this evening, uh, for this evening, this morning, you just need to know that a covenant is an agreement. And uh, the only thing we can say in our modern context that sort of comes close to really the depth of covenant is marriage. There's an agreement that two people enter into and that they're going to work it out, they're going to be together and there's, there's almost like a, um, a deep sense of being to one another because in, in all other contexts there's contracts and things but they don't really fully encapsulate how deep this role of covenant goes. But what we have here is the beginning because God actually ratifies his covenant over a few things. But look, just looking at Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 15 and 17 is when the full covenant comes into play. But for today, we're just looking at that beginning stage of God now creating a way with humanity to work back towards a nice relationship where they can function. So let's have a look at how he does that together. Genesis 12, 1 to 9. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So the first question we've got to ask is, why Abram? Why not? Um, why did God choose Abram? We don't know. All we know that is, is that it says more about God's goodness in choosing Abram than Abram's specialness in being able to be chosen by God. So I wonder, and this is just uh, me thinking laterally outside the biblical text, I wonder if like God spoke to a few different people, like, hey, go from your country, your people, your father's household and the land I will show you. And I wonder if a few other people went, no, I'm good. I'm comfy here. That sounds hard. That's hard work. I'm set up here. I'm not going to move. Anyway, just fun things to think about. Don't know. All we know that in the text, chooses Abram. Don't know why, but God chooses him. And he says, go. Now, this is the first. There's three parts to the covenant, which are going to be, or the blessing and the covenantal agreement between God and Abram. Um, they are land, blessing, and people. And this is the first part is about land. He says, go to the land I will show you. Then he goes on, verse 2. This is God speaking. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And then 
in that section, we have the final two parts of this agreement between God and Abram. Blessing people and land. So he says to Abram, go to the land that I will show you. There's land. He says that you will be a great nation. That means you'll have many people. Because of you and your descendants, you'll be a great place to be able to basically show other nations how living with me can be and how awesome it is. And then blessing, and I will be with you as you do that. You're not going it alone. I'm with you. Verse 4, so Abram went. So there's the obedience. Abram went as the Lord had told him, and he took his nephew Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old. He was no spring chicken. And he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated. So they're taking everything. There's no coming back. They're taking it all. And all the people they had acquired in Haran. So obviously the trajectory of Scripture is to get away from owning people. But at this point, this is the reality of the world that they live in. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. They made the journey. Abram traveled through the land as far to the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. So they got to the land that God showed them, but there were already people there. The Lord appeared to Abram. Don't know how. Just appeared to Abram and he said this. To your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there, he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the, on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So here we have the principal interaction between God and Abram. Now, over the next few chapters of Genesis, if you want to read ahead, which I encourage you to, if you've never read the stories before, it unpacks how this is going to look. And, um, and God makes his covenantal agreement with Abram later on and says, you are now my person. But here we have the initial obedience and the initial um, terms of what God is going to be giving to Abram if he follows the Lord. And those three things are very important. I will give you a land. I will give you a place to be. I will give you my blessing. I will be with you, and when people come up against you, I will fight on your behalf. And I will give you a nation. Your offspring will be so great, and it says later on in the, um, in the scriptures, it says uh, your children will be so numerous, it's like looking up at the sky and seeing the stars. It's un- uncountable. And here we have God reaching out to humanity, saying, let's, let's do this together. Adam and Eve happened broke what was created and intended. God tried to reset through Noah, but showed that humanity at its core were unable to be, even with the conditions reset, even with the playing field re-leveled, because we knew good and evil, we still were unable to fully hold to God's good and submit to his ultimate will. The Tower of Babel showed that humanity could not be trusted if we could work together too well. And then here we have God now saying, I want to work with you. And I'm going to be with you and I'm going to make an agreement with you that I will be with you till the end. Now, I'm going to focus and link this to Jesus because what happens in the Abrahamic covenant is that these three things are promised. But while the story unfolds from Genesis through to the end of the prophets and even into the New Testament and the intertestamental period where things get changed around a bit, how they operate, um, this covenant is never fully fulfilled it's never fully, it's only ever partially fulfilled. So the land which they take eventually and they get, they lose again. 
They come back and now the land is under huge contention at the moment and we see what happens in the Middle East because of the attachment to the land. Now you can't just go go and get another land because to the people the arrangement was made to, the land is a sign that God is with them. So to go to them and say, well, can't you just pick another land doesn't quite work because that's not the agreement. The covenant was that I will give you this land. So to be off the land is a problem. So they want to be on the land. And then there's a lot of conflict at the moment. The nation idea. I will make you as numerous as the stars. Well, fast forward now, and we know that the Israelites and the Jewish people, they are a fraction of the world. They, they, are, they are a larger nation, but they're not in the world context, in the world stage, they are not a numerous people. There are many more of other nations and other ethnicities and other backgrounds. So that hasn't been fully fulfilled either. And then finally, the blessings. At some point, God says, I am with you. I will bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. But as we unpack the story down the road, the people of Israel turn their back on God and he leaves the building, so to speak. They build a temple. He's with them. And then they start to do things that are detestable, things that are unholy, things that are not meant to be done in the temple. And God's presence leaves it. And then eventually there's judgment and exile. And so there's the blessing thing, but sort of like they were blessed, then God had to discipline them, then they're blessed again. And then ultimately when Jesus comes along and says, I am God and I want to be with you, they don't respond according to um, what Jesus deserves. So there's only ever partial fulfillment within the Abrahamic covenant. But then when you come to Jesus and you see what Jesus does through his life, his death, his resurrection, we see that he's putting forth a fulfillment of the covenant. It just looks a little bit different. So let's have a look at what it says um, and how we can put this with Jesus. So the Lord said to Abram, go to your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. So God says this new land I'm showing you is where you're going to be. It's going to be the center stage for showing other nations what it's like to be with God. So the point of the land, the point of the blessing, and we get that um, in the passage where it says, and uh, I will bless the people through you. The point of all this is that other nations can come to look at how they operate and go, that's what we want. We know that as the story unfolds, they want to do and be like everybody else, unfortunately. But the intention here is that other nations would look at how they use the land, how they worship, how they set up their structures, and they look at that and go, isn't God good? That's the intention. But then Jesus comes along and Jesus enters the scene and says, don't worry about the physical land that's there right now. His message goes beyond just that land to all lands. Jesus comes along and says, there will be a land for people who follow me. And we read about that in the book of Revelation at the end. There'll be a place where God, Jesus and humanity will be together forever. There will be a land, there'll be a place where we come together and live as it was intended at the beginning. But Jesus comes along and says, that is to come. For now, go out and tell people about me. It will become like it was in Genesis 1-2. to Creation, humanity, and God together, but not yet. It's this yet, not yet part of the kingdom of God. Jesus has come and he has defeated death and in him we have new life, but he is returning. So the kingdom of God, while we participate in it in the here and now, while we get to be God's love, Jesus' feet, we get to be all of that as part of his church now. It's not yet fully fulfilled. And many of us will pass away from this earth before it is fully fulfilled. 
We've been waiting for Jesus for a while. And I said, who knows when he's coming? It's better to try not to guess. There are books out there, if you ever want a fun read, that try and calculate from Scripture um, and try to get dates. They keep missing it. So um, I think just keep putting it further and further in the future. <laughs> anyway, um, but that's coming, but not yet, one day. So that's the first thing Jesus does, is he takes the attention away from the land which is here and physical now. And he goes and says, in the future, there will be a land where we will be united again, but it is not yet. So that's the first thing Jesus does. The second thing he does, it says that I will make you a great nation. So a great nation is promised to Abram and his, um, his offspring are going to be too numerous to count. But we know now in the world stage, that's not the count. That's not the, uh, the case. But Jesus comes in and how does he fulfill this? Because as we know, as we should know, um, Jesus has no physical kids. He came. He lived a single life. He died. He got the bonus of rising again, um, and then he went off to heaven. So if Abram is promised offspring, and they're going to be too numerous to count, how can Jesus possibly fulfill that? Well, Jesus says that anyone who believes and follows me are my spiritual children. Remember the interaction Jesus has, um, if you've read through the New Testament, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and, and the disciple comes up and says, your mother and your brothers are outside, they want to talk to you. And what does Jesus say? Those who are with me, they're my family, they're my brothers, the ones who do the will of God. And Jesus adopts us in through sonship as children of God. And so this thing from Abram of you will have offspring, physical offspring, there will be too, countless to, too, um, too many to count, too numerous to count, gets transitioned to Jesus and says, the church, those who follow Jesus, we are children of God. We are followers of Jesus. We are his spiritual family. And the church, which has many people worldwide, is what will become too numerous to count. Filled with people from different backgrounds. And what I love and very thankful for is that Jesus comes and says, it's now faith that unites the family, not ancestral or ethnic background. It's now faith that ties us together, the common belief that Jesus is Lord. That's what makes us part of God's family. And then the third part, the blessing. I will bless you, God says to Abram. The blessing given to Abram extends beyond just blessing Abram. Abram was never blessed to just enjoy the good life. God didn't go up and say, I'm going to bless you, Abram, so that you may have a happy life. That's not the, the purpose. Abram was blessed. His family was blessed. Why? I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. This here is the beginning of sort of the upside-down kingdom of God. The blessing is given not so the recipient can feel special or have a good life. The blessing is given so that they may be a blessing to others. It's given to Abram so that he may go forward and bless the world. The Abram and his family are chosen so that the nations around can look and see how good God is, not so they get a special badge that says, I'm part of God's family, and they walk around and show it to everybody. It's meant to be something that's given to them so that other people can come to know how awesome and amazing God is. And so Jesus comes along. Jesus comes along, and anyone who believes in him will be blessed so that we can be a blessing. And my favorite part, my favorite part there of this whole passage is the end of verse 3 there. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. 
Because when humanity got their hands on being in control of things back in the garden, we read about in Genesis 3, when humanity got a shot at choosing what they should do, they chose me first. The fruit will make me more knowledgeable. The fruit will make me like God. The fruit will make me better. I'll take a piece of that because I'm thinking about me. And humanity ever since has been making decisions that impact me. And then we have children and we want decisions to go their way because how we love them and how the world treats them, we want them to be treated well because that impacts us. And we have grandchildren, we want them to be treated well and we want our family to be safe. And sure, we'll put up with a little bit of discomfort here and there, but in general, I want to be happy, safe, blessed. And Jesus comes along. And says that anyone who's with me, anyone who's with me will be blessed. But not so that you can gain, but so that you can give. Because from the beginning, humanity has accumulated power, status. They've accumulated wealth, accumulated things that have made our lives better. And most of the time, at the cost of somebody else. And Jesus comes into the picture and says, you don't accumulate that stuff for you. If you're blessed enough that you have a mind that accumulates wealth, power, status, and those things, it's not for you. It's actually for others. We are meant to leverage the blessing that has been given to us for the good of others. And whenever I look at Jesus teaching again and again and again, and you read through the New Testament, all I see is that Jesus is leading us in a way that says, whatever you've been given is so that others may receive. The message and the good news that you get given and it gets implanted in your heart that changes your life, that is for you absolutely in restoration to God, but it's not meant to stay with you. It's meant to be given away. Whenever you have anything of value that can help another person, we're meant to receive so that we may give and bless other people. The upside-down kingdom of God says you are not blessed so that you can say, look at me, I'm blessed. You're blessed so that others may be blessed as well. And God willingly, they will come to see God as their heavenly Father and Jesus as Lord and Jesus as Savior. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. He says it, the first shall be last and all that sort of stuff. So the question this morning that I have as I close out here for these last few minutes, what are you receiving this morning from this text? What is going through your mind? As you hear this, the words of Genesis 12, 1 to 9, as you've heard what I've had to say, and as things have just, some of it would have just washed off and been nothing, some of it may have stuck out, what are you processing at the moment? And what can you ask God to highlight at the moment? What is God saying to you through the passage? Maybe the Holy Spirit is awakening something in you. And there's something that's just sticking out. And I don't know your journey and I don't know what week you've had or what trajectory you're on in your faith walk at the moment. But maybe something that's been said or maybe something that hasn't been said but now you've had a time to sit there and zone out and figure some stuff out. Maybe God's awakening something in you. Maybe during the worship this morning. Or maybe just in the one minute chat time, something got said and you're still mulling it over. So I want to give a bit of space right now to, to reflect 
and to think, well, what is God saying to me? One of the most powerful tools we have when it comes to um, the scriptures and when we come to an organized, uh, organized family like this, the church, is the ability to be able to read, reflect, learn, and share. So what is God saying in this space to you right now? I'm going to do a mini prayer. Then we're going to read through the Bible verse again. Then I'm going to pray once more. So let me just do a little mini prayer right now. Our Holy Spirit, alight, um, please just enlighten us to whatever it is that you are seeking us to take from this passage today. Whatever it is from the message that's been said or anything that's been just dropped into our hearts or our heads, what is it that we need to take with us into the week? As we read through this verse, uh, these verses again, as we take time to slowly digest what's being said, what is it that you want for us? What is it that you want for me? We're not just here to learn to get smarter. We're not just here to listen so we can learn a new fact. We're here to, to listen and be shaped by Scripture, to be f- shaped by our faith, to be shaped by your Son, Jesus, and that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, Lord, just... Show us what we're meant to know. Amen. I'm going to read through it again. And as I do, just take a moment to think, what is God saying to you right now? Maybe nothing. (laughs) It's fun. Um, But there may be something that you feel was getting worked on in your heart or your head. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Where he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of Jesus there. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Heavenly Father, in the beginning you created a world where you envisioned us and you in perfect unity, at peace. We learn from the narrative that that peace was not maintained for long. Humanity chose to seek self over your will, your heart, your plans and your rules. And ever since then, Lord, we have been in turmoil. There's been distance between us and you, between us and one another, between us and creation. But I just want to say right now, thank you for not leaving us in that place. 
Thank you for not allowing us to stay distant from you, allowing us to stay apart from our Heavenly Father. So I want to say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the promise you made to Abram and thank you for the fulfillment of everything we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I pray right now that whatever it is we're processing, whatever it is you're speaking to us, that it will be a blessing so that others may come to see you as Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to take a hold of us and a hold of those that you want to bring back to you so that they may see Jesus as Lord and we may be reminded that we serve an amazing God. In your name and for your glory. Amen.